0: Track 13 Authentic Lecture 1
1: Bill Gates So, you're still wondering, I'm sure, what is Philanthrocapitalism? So first of all, let's look at philanthropy. So we know that philanthropy is the act of giving to or doing something for poor people or those who need help or giving to a a good cause. A philanthropic capitalist is a business person, primarily, who believes that business should not just be about profit, but that business has a moral duty to give back to the society that gave it so much. Philanthropic capitalists believe that they are better poised through their extensive business skills and their background, in business to deliver philanthropy in a way that maybe will be more efficient or specific than government programs alone. Gates regularly cites vaccines as one of the best forms of global investment in giving. So he sees this as, as offering up the best return, i.e. the best chance of saving lives, especially young lives, at the lowest cost. So as you see in that example, he applies business principles to his choices in philanthropy. One of the most interesting things related to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the Giving Pledge. So this is something that Bill Gates and legendary financier Warren Buffett formed in 2010. And the Giving Pledge works like this. Basically, they focus on billionaires. Um, Excuse me they get them to agree to give away at least half of their wealth to philanthropic causes within their lifetimes or after their deaths. Um, Now, this pledge is, is really just a verbal promise. They don't sign a contract. And they do, however, make a very public commitment to give away the majority of their fortunes. So, for example, on their website, they have a long list of um, the people who have agreed to this pledge. It includes names like Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and a brief explanation from each person who has um, not signed on but agreed to this pledge gives an explanation of Why they've chosen to do that. So far, they have managed to sign up just under 100 American billionaires, which is quite amazing when you think about the fact that it's only been going on since 2010. And now they're starting to focus on China and other countries where there's a lot of wealth being generated.
2: Track 14. 1.
0: At some point, we'll look at the effects of deforestation. Two. So, we've covered the effects of deforestation. Three. We've started out with the effects of deforestation. Four. I'd like to turn to the effects of deforestation. Five. We'll talk about the effects of deforestation in a little while. 6. Now, on to the effects of deforestation. 7. I've talked a bit about the effects of deforestation. 8. We're going to come back to the effects of deforestation. 9. So, that's the effects of deforestation. 10. At some point, we'll go over the effects of deforestation.
2: Track 15 1 Morning, everyone. I'd like to start today's session by outlining what I want to cover. Essentially, I'll be talking about Kepler's three laws of planetary motion and their importance in modern cosmology. I'm going to talk about each law in quite a lot of detail, so you can develop your understanding of each one. But I'm not going to include any historical background, as we don't have enough time for that. Two.
0: Right, let's get started, shall we?
1: Current conservation projects are a focus of much environmental science research at the moment, especially in terms of their efficacy and long-term effects. And this is going to be the main theme of this lecture. What I want to do is look at the drivers behind these projects, who sets them up and why. By that I mean, how is the need identified and how is the research conducted? Then we'll look at the changes these projects have recommended or produced and whether or not they were successful.
0: Track 16 Anterior surface Constricted pupil Pupillary roof. Contraction furrows. Colorette.
2: Crips of Fuchs. Track 17.
3: Okay, so this is just a schematic showing that. So the colour of our eyes is very individual. There's no two eyes the same. Even in, you know, identical twins, there may be some differences, even though they're very genetically uh, similar there may be some differences in how the the irises look. And so this colour is very much dependent upon the pigmentation or the melanin that is contained on the anterior surface, so the front surface of the iris, as you can see as you're looking at it there. Um, It's also thought that the colour of the eye is also... um, It's sort of affected by the reflection and the absorption of certain wavelengths, long and um, short wavelengths. So it's thought that in blue eyes, for example, there may be some changes in absorption and reflection of um, certain wavelengths of light. That's not such an issue in brown eyes, in dark eyes, but maybe in blue it is, and possibly in some pale green eyes. But essentially, if you look at the anterior surface, we have, I'll just run through these and we'll go through them in a little bit more detail. This is a constrictor pupil, We have this item called the pupillary ruff, which is essentially is like a pigmented ring which is on the inside of the iris and forms the the margin of the pupil. And this essentially is the pigmented epithelium which is showing through from the back of the iris. We have some of these sort of radial furrows called contraction furrows, and I'll talk about these in a second. We have a tissue here called the collarette, which basically does what it says on the packet. It looks like a collar, and that's actually the most... The thickest part of the iris, and then we have these structures called crypts of Fuchs, and again, I'll talk about these in a second.
0: Track eighteen, conclusion
2: one.
3: And there we are. Time's nearly up, so let's just recap what we've looked at. Firstly, global warming and where it's going, and more importantly, how we can slow its progress. Alternative energy is one answer to this, and although not in itself a panacea, we've looked at the need for development and research of alternative energy, in particular solar, wind, water, geothermal energy and biofuels. The practicalities can hold back such energies as solar and wind, but nuclear energy may pave the way forward, as I mentioned. Hollister talks about this in his book Nuclear Positive, which I'd recommend. But that's all for now.
0: Enjoy your lunch, and see you on Monday.
2: Conclusion 2 So, as you can see, getting to where we are with the planets was a long process of discovery, and although this solar system may be planetarily sewn up, so to speak, the discovery of solar systems outside our own is only beginning. Will we one day find another planet like our own? Imagine that. Do you think we'll even find something like that in your lifetime? Probably not in mine, but yours, who knows? So, if you want to find out more about these developments, Smith and Bronte give a pretty thorough overview, and that's on your reading list. Conclusion 3
0: So, I think to conclude, we can say that um, although exploration may be seen as a good thing, it can have disastrous effects when it comes to the seabed and the delicate ecosystems there. So I'd like you to think about this question. When exploration and further knowledge impacts upon ethics, where should we go? What can we do? Scientific ethics is part of this module, and I'd like you to review the work we've done and come up with some ideas on positions we should take. There are no right answers, but it's certainly something we as scientists, and potential scientists, should be considering very carefully. Okay. Track 19
2: It is claimed that geologists have clearly mapped all of the fault lines causing earthquakes in California. Track 20 1 It's been claimed that geologists will have clearly mapped most of the fault lines in California. 2. It's claimed that geologists haven't clearly mapped all of the fault lines in California. 3. It was claimed that geologists have clearly mapped none of the fault lines in California. 4. It was claimed that geologists had clearly mapped one of the fault lines in
0: California.